good to see everybody this morning. I hope you're having a great weekend. It's great to be with you as it always is. It's good to be with you on a Sunday morning. Uh, great to have you here on a chilly, nice, nice Sunday morning. Many of you may or may not know this, but today is one of the most special days of the year. Today is the day of Turkey Bowl. Does anybody know what the Turkey Bowl is? Youth, can I get an amen? Yeah, there you are. So the Turkey Bowl is when all of our youth get together and they have a competitive game of football. And get this, they get to play this tournament and then the adults get to play the winner of the youth. I'm just saying we're undefeated. So youth, we're coming for you today. We've been practicing. We've got a whole, it's, it's going to be great. We're going to have fun and hopefully nobody tears an ACL or a back or anything else. It's going to be fun. Great to be with you today. Last week was an awesome day in the life of our church. Um, you know, I want you to know just how proud of you I am, how proud of our church I am, of how we responded to God's leading last week. It was a powerful, powerful day. Um, many of you were here. There were a lot, of, a lot of you who weren't here. Maybe you were either ill or you were traveling or whatever that may be. We want to give you an opportunity to be a part, right? So it wasn't a one-time thing. Remember, our goal is 100% participation. We want everybody to have an opportunity to participate. In fact, we even put commitment cards in the pew back in front of you. So if you look right there in front of you, you ought to see some commitment cards right in the pew back right there in front of you. Um, if you didn't have a chance to, to fill your commitment card, reach in there, grab one of those. That's for you. Uh, fill that out, and you can drop it in the offering boxes on your way out. That's the best way to do it. The black box is back here on the back wall. Um, we'll get that, and we'll add that to the accumulation of cards that we received last week. We're going to continue to receive cards. Remember, our goal is 100% participation. It's not a number. It's a particip participation percentage that we're after. We want everybody to get to be a part of what God's doing here today, um, what he's going to do in in a few years, but also we want you to be able to be a part of what God's going to do in the next 170 years of life of our church, right? Um, this is our moment, right? Nobody is coming after us to, to clean it up. Like we, This is our moment for us to stand in, and so my challenge to all of us is to seize the moment, right? Seize the day, seize our opportunity to stand in the gap between those who have come before us, those who are going to come after us, and let's be the church, the generous church that God's called us to be. Remember, that means we're not going to be just a church with generous people, but we're going to be a generous church. To be a generous church means we have to be a generous people. And that has far more to do uh, with our life, not just what's in our wallet, right? That's being a, to be a generous person means that, that we're going to be generous with our, all that we have, our time, our, our hobbies, um, our, our, our finances, our homes, like we, we want to be a generous people. We're going to be a generous people. Today we are going to conclude our series in All In. Okay, so today is the last sermon in the All In series, but remember, it's not the last time we're going to be talking about all of this, right? This is going to, going to continue for uh, the foreseeable future. So while I'm not going to be talking about it every week, doesn't mean that we won't be talking about it at length and encouraging you to be a part of that. December 3rd will be a special day for you and, and for us. We're going to uh, gather up all of the, the data that we have, that we've received, and there will, will be an announcement as to, to where we are and where the Lord's leading us, okay? So that's an important day. 
Again, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that. We're going to be in John chapter 17 today. We're going to be talking about a very, 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 very important subject. Um, not only for, for our church, but the church at large. So John chapter 17, we're going to cover that whole chapter. Um, if you have your workbook, I would encourage you to open up to page 37. We're going to be on page 37 in your workbook. If you want to jot down some notes, um, maybe helpful for you as you think through and pray through what the Lord's leading you to do uh, this week. So, page 37 in your workbook, John chapter 17. I've heard it said that... Um, People say some of the most profound, meaningful things that they will ever say in their life at the end of their days, right? So whether that's, you know, the last years of their life, whether that's the last day of their life, people throughout history have been known to say some of the most profound, meaningful things that they will ever say. In fact, I've got a list of some things that people have said at the end of their life. You probably will, will recognize some of these folks. Here's what... Here's what Bob Marley said at the end of his life. He said, money can't buy life. That's good old Bob. Thanks, Bob. Karl Marx excused his family from the room in which he was dying. He was on his deathbed. He kind of angrily excused the people in his room, his family. And here's what he said. He said, last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Winston Churchill said, I'm bored with it all. That's what he said on his deathbed. Buddha. Here's what Buddha said. Buddha said, all components in the world are changeable. They're not lasting. Work hard for your salvation. That's what Buddha said. Queen Elizabeth I said, all my possessions for just a moment in time. All of the things, all of the riches, all of the fame for just a moment in time. These are some profound words that tell us a lot about someone and what they believe about life. Well, in the text that we're going to read this morning, this is, in many ways, Jesus, some of the last words that Jesus ever said on earth. In John chapter 17, uh, this is Jesus' last evening on earth, and he's praying to the Father, and he's, he's praying on behalf of the current disciples, current day disciples 2,000 years ago. But then he's also including those who are going to come to know him in a future date, which, by the way, is us. Pretty cool. So Jesus is going to go to the Lord in prayer. But what I want you to see as we read this text in just a minute are some of the most meaningful, valuable, profound words in all of the Bible. John chapter 7, as Jesus goes to the Lord and he's going to pray four things on behalf of us this morning that I want you guys to see. So again, John chapter 7, let's read this together. John 17, yep, thank you. I'm glad y'all are paying attention. All right, John chapter 17, here we go. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and here's what he said. Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him all authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given him. So he's telling us, I'm going from this earth, I'm about to head to the right hand of the Father. And Jesus says in verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. There's only one God. There's only one way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, in whom you have sent. 
I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence, that the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you have given them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you have given me. And they received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All are mine. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Therefore, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So sanctify them in your truth, for your word is truth. You sent me into the world so that I, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Hear this, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, talking about current disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I and them. May God add his blessing to the public reading of his word. You know, Jesus, again, profound words on the eve of his death, the next day, he will go to the cross, he will go to a Roman cross where he will give his life for you and for me. He will purchase our forgiveness and he will purchase our restoration that we lost because of our sin with the Father that next day and so these are some profound words that Jesus wants us to hear very very carefully and I will wrap this in to why this and and how this applies to all in at the very end but these are profound words that Jesus is praying on behalf of you and me and he really there's four primary things that I want you to see the first one is that Jesus prays that we would know him and experience eternal life what Jesus is saying in this text is that for those who know God via Jesus, will experience eternal life, not only in in eternity, but also in this present life. This is what Jesus would refer to as the abundant life. 
If you want to experience life, it comes through knowing God through Jesus here today. And Jesus would go on in, in, in verse, I think it's verse 6. He tells us exactly how we gain that eternal life. In verse 6, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave to me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, that they may, that they have, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them your words that you gave me, and hear this, and they have received them. And they have come to know in truth that I came from you and that they have believed that you have sent me. What Jesus is saying here is that to know God is to receive Jesus and his words, his testimony. If you want to get to know God, you've got to receive Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the pathway to, back to the Father. Right? You may recall from Genesis chapter 2, God creates man and woman he creates them with value and dignity and worth. He creates them to be his masterpiece. And then we decided to go our own way, which then separated us in relationship to the one who created us, who created us to have a perfect relationship with him. We are separated from him. The only way back to the Father is through Jesus. And so what he is praying here is that we would know him. And by the way, to know God is not just to know about him. Right? You can know all that you want to know about him and yet never actually know him in relationship. The invitation for you and for me is not to just know about God, it's to know him in relationship, to know him in, in experience, to uh, experience all of life with him. That's the eternal life that Jesus is talking about here. It's not to know him and just know facts and dates and read the Bible and be able to regurgitate a lot of scripture. That's all great and fine, but there's a difference between knowing about him and then knowing him and enjoying him. Jesus prays that his disciples would know him. This morning, if you've never begun a relationship with Jesus, my encouragement to you would be to take some notes today. It'd be great for you to take some notes, jot some things down. But I want to speak with you after, if you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart, maybe, maybe this morning God's doing something in your life. By the way, if you're here, you're here on purpose, right? The reason why you're here is because God wanted you to be here. And maybe he's doing something in your heart, and maybe you've never, maybe you know a whole lot about him. Maybe you grew up in the church, and you, you, you've read your Bible, you've been to Sunday school, you've been to all these things, you've got a life group, all these things, but you've never actually begun a relationship with Jesus. Everything that we're going to talk about this morning is going to well, it's not going to mean a whole lot to you unless you started there. That's your starting point. And so I would tell you right after this service, I'm going to be right here. I've got time. I want to walk you through how you can begin a relationship with God and you can know him and not just know about him. And you can experience the eternal life that Jesus is praying for you right now, today. You can begin that relationship. So Jesus prays that they would know him. But number two, he, he prays that they would be kept by him in a world that's against them. So not only does Jesus want his followers to know him and experience eternal life, but he also prays that, that the Father would, would keep them, protect them, guard them. Jesus is really praying a prayer of commissioning over the disciples. As he goes to the Lord on their behalf, he's, he's, he's really talking about how he's sending them out into the world to finish what he started in and through them. Right? That's what 
the whole point of him gathering up the disciples. Remember Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. So he sends them out into the world to reach the world. By the way, our purpose, our, our commission, so to speak, in, on this earth is that we would be his ambassadors. We wouldn't just show up on a Sunday morning, sing a few songs, hear some guy talk, but that we would take the relationship that we have in Christ and we would go to the ends of the earth and we would tell people about him. We would be his ambassadors. That's, that's the calling that you and I have. And so Jesus is praying that over his disciples, that we would live into the very thing that he started 2,000 years ago. We'd live missionally. So he's sending them to start what he, or sending him to continue, sending them to continue what he started on earth. Now in verse 11, here's what he says. He says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, speaking of the disciples. He says, I'm coming to you. So he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. You know, this idea of being kept, right? What does it mean to be kept? That Jesus is praying to the Lord that, that, that God would keep us. What does that mean? Well, to, to be kept means to be taking possession of. It's to be kept safe, secure, guarded. Jesus is going to go on to say that while he was in the world, he kept the disciples safe and secure. Now that he's not going to be there, he's calling upon the Father who holds all things into his hands and he's saying, hey, listen, I'm coming to you, so I'm leaving them in the world, and so I'm going to need you to have their back. They're my people. That's what Jesus is praying. You might be wondering, well, why in the world does Jesus seem so concerned that God would have our back? Well, in verse 14, he answers that question. He says, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The reason why you and I need a prayer of being kept, the reason why you and I need that is because we are in the world, and if we identify with Christ, what the Bible says, it actually promises that you and I will be misunderstood, we will be unliked. It's going to cost us. In fact, what Jesus would even say, we'll be hated. And so Jesus is coming to the Lord, concerned for the people that he is leaving in the world, and he's saying, listen, listen, Father, I want you to keep them. I want you to take possession of them. I want you to care for them. I want you to protect them. I want you to keep them safe from the evil one, because as they identify with me, they're going to unidentify with the world. And while the world hated me, it will also hate them. Father, keep them. Protect them. In verse 16, Jesus says, they are not of this world. My followers are different, Jesus says. They're going to be different in the way they talk, in the way they interact with others, the way they prioritize their time, their gifts, and spend their money. They're going to be different. They're going to be different because they associate with me. And because of this, Jesus has this deep concern that the more that we identify with him, the more that we are hated, the more that we find our security in the Lord and not in the things of this earth. And not in the people of this earth. And then Jesus says in verse 15, which I think is interesting, he says, 
goes, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. If you're like me, you're thinking, well, Jesus, if this is going to be hard, this kind of John 16, 33 kind of life where we expect trials and tribulations, if life is going to be this hard and if I'm going to be hated, then why in the world do you leave me here? I don't know about you, but I don't particularly like to be hated. I don't really care to be persecuted. I don't really care for people to, to speak evil of me. Like, I don't, I don't like those things. I kind of like comfort, right? So Jesus, if that's true, why in the world would you leave us in this world? I, I picture this kind of, <laughs> this week as I was thinking through this, I, I pictured uh, a battle scene. Maybe you can relate with me here, right? Battle scene, it's me, I'm stuck in the middle of a wilderness and my enemies are all around me. It says, keep them from the evil one. I'm thinking about the evil one and I'm like, man, I am surrounded by my enemies. And all of a sudden, when I think all is hopeless, all is done, here comes a Black Hawk helicopter. And I think, thank you, Lord, you have saved me. I'm out of here. But here's the, here's the deal, right? The Black Hawk hel helicopter lands right there. I'm looking at my enemies saying, see you later, baby. I'm out of here. And then the Black Hawk helicopter touches down, gives me a thumbs up. You got this. And then takes back off. And now here I am stuck looking at all the enemies that I just said. I'm out of here. Like, that's the picture I get. I'm thinking, Lord, why in the world would you do this to me? Why in the world would you leave me here? And yet at the same time, the promise that you and I have is that the God who holds all things together has our back. That while he has left us here, he hasn't left us without help. See, while you can't see it, there is a legion of angel armies surrounding you. It's his son, it's his daughter. There's a legion of angel armies that are hovering around our church, protecting us from the evil one. And so while that black helicopter comes and touches down, gives you a thumbs up, and then takes back off what he left and what you don't realize is that he has left you, he has left me, he has left us with the protection of a legion of armies that at any given moment could put an end to the trials and tribulations. I love what Jesus says in John, 16, in John 16, 33. He says, in this world you will, this is promise, you will have trials and tribulations, but take heart. Why? Why do we take heart? Because he has overcome the world. The king that you and I serve this morning, 2,000 years from when this prayer was prayed, has all authority in heaven and on earth. And there's been nothing that's changed that. So yes, while we struggle, and yes, while we have trials, yes, while we have tribulations, yes, we get diagnoses that we don't want to hear, we, we have friendships that are hurting, we have stock market that's struggling, we have all of these trials and tribulations that make up this broken world that we live in, we take heart because the one who's in control of all things has our back. And so he prays that we would be kept, we'd be taken possession of, that we would be secure, that we would know him, that we'd be kept by him, but then number three, this is so, so good, 
don't miss this, that we would be one with the Father. That in the midst of the trials and tribulations that we live in, he's praying for this this group of people who have said yes to him. He's praying that they would be one with the Father, that we would experience the oneness that Jesus and the Father experiences. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. Jesus is inviting us into not just knowing about him, but deep and abiding communion with the Father, the very same communion, the very same oneness that he experienced on the earth with his heavenly Father. He prays this here in verse 11. He says, or, yeah, in verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. Why? Why keep them? That they may be one, even as we, as we are one, that you would experience the communion and the relationship that Jesus experienced with the Father. There's no other religious system that offers you that. Offers you access, but not just access, but relationship and communion with the one who created it all, who's holding it in his hands. You've been given an invitation to dine at his table. To feed on him, to enjoy him, to walk with him, that every moment of every day in your life, to live with him, to have full access to him. That is something that you and I know on this side of history that prior to Christ, nobody knew or could experience. He's inviting us into oneness with the Father. To be one with him is to be united, to be knitted, and to be sewn together. To be sewn into him. To be one with God means that, again, we are knitted with him, sewn into him. It's to experience communion and relationship with him. It means that we live our entire life with him. And as we do that, we start liking the things that he likes. We start disliking the things that he dislikes. All of a sudden, our priorities become his priorities. We experience that 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 kind of transformation that as we behold him and as we walk with him, we begin to look more like him. We take on more of his character. We take on more of who he is. And then all of a sudden, we become ambassadors of the kingdom of God, right? We experience the 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 kind of new creation. He promises that he is making us new. The old is gone the new has come and our oneness with him the more we pursue him the more we walk with him the more we enjoy him the more we begin to look like him the more we experience what it means to be one with the father but not only does jesus pray that we would be one with him one with the father but he also prays number four that we would be one with each other how much time do i've got okay that we would be one with each other Now, here's the reality. The world that we live in, this is a really low bar for Christians. For you and for me to be one is a low bar in the world that we live in. 
Jesus says in verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He goes on to say in verse 23, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one. What Jesus is praying for you and for me is that in spite of our differences, we would be one. We would be one. I get this picture, and moms, dads, grandparents in the room, you understand this. I get this picture, you know, like, think about, think about your kids. Like, I'm not sure that there's anything that can make my heart happier than when I see my kids loving one another, playing together, spending time together. Like, I don't know that there's anything that makes my daddy heart more happy than when my kids are getting along and they're working together and they're spending time together. That's the picture that we get when we start talking about our oneness. And on the other end of it, I'm not sure that anything makes my heart more unhappy than when my kids are not getting along and when they're bickering and when they're fighting you know, and so he calls us to be one. Now, understand, right, that when I, in that same illustration, I've got a boy and I've got a girl. And everybody knows in this room that boys are very different than girls and girls are very different than boys. Kind of God's sense of humor, I think, right? Let's put them all in one room and let's see how they work it out, all right? That's why marriage is sanctifying. Marriage is about your holiness, not your happiness. That's another... <laughs> not, you, you're, you're with me. You're with me. That's another sermon. That's another sermon for another day. But my kids are very different in the way they see the world. You're very different in the way you see the world. And you're very different in the way you see the world. And I'm very different in the way I see the world. And yet, in spite of all of our differences, Jesus is praying that you and I would be one. That we would be united now, when we start talking about unity, understand that we are not talking about uniformity. There's a difference between uniformity and unity. God is a very creative God. He has created us all different. We all have stories. We all have perspectives. We all have different personalities. And yet we bring all of those things to the dinner table. And it's at the dinner table where we dine with him. Remember he said that we would be one with him. As we are one with him, we ought to be one with one another. So the more we're one with him, the more we ought to be one with each other, right? And so we come to the table with all of our differences, and what Jesus is saying here is that we're not supposed to be uniform. We're not supposed to all look alike, act alike, think alike. It would diminish his creativity. But we're to do as Christians the hard work of finding our common ground. Our common ground. Now you look in the world right now. We are in, we live in a world of extremism. Right? You've got one end over here, you got the other end over here. And if you're not over here and you're over here, then you must hate me over here and I must hate you over there. Like we live in this divided world where, you know, if I watch Fox News, then people who watch CNN hate me. And if I watch CNN, people on Fox News hate me. And the reason is, is because we place our identity in all of these different things. We place our identity 
in things of the world rather than in Christ and his righteousness. And so when we do that, what happens is, is when you disagree with me or you don't affirm me or my position or my preference or my personality or my whatever, then I take that as a personal assault on who I am as a person. You see that? Maybe you feel that. Maybe when I even bring up the news, people are already heated in the room. You're heated because you have a misplaced identity. Because you're making things in the world an idol. That's not going to be your solution. Only Christ is our solution. He's the solution. The, the problem today on, our, on this earth is not our politics. The problem today is sin and brokenness. And Jesus has come to restore that sin and that brokenness and give us a way back to the Father where we can be one with him. And as we are one with him, we can be one with each other in spite of our differences. And hear me, because this is where it gets really, really, really important. Because what Jesus is going to say to us is that it is our unity, the way we walk with the Lord, and the way we treat one another is going to credit or discredit the gospel message. So the way we treat each other in this room has the power to credit or discredit our witness in this community. I want you to let that sit heavy. So the gossip that we do at the barbershop about brothers and sisters, you are discrediting the fact that Jesus came to this earth and gave his life for us. When we talk badly about our brothers and sisters behind their back, you're discrediting the gospel. When we create division over our preferences, because you don't like the music, or it's too loud, and we begin to start chatting about all of these things, you're pitting one group against another group that, by the way, Jesus gave his blood for them just like he gave his blood for you. When we think that we have it all figured out and this group of people don't, they're not quite there yet, we're creating division and unharmony in the body. We're discrediting the gospel. There's a reason why it's so quiet in the room right now. And hear me, a building will not solve disunity. That's the reason why this is in this series. The reason why I made a really hard decision on my first day to bring us all together is because the gospel depends on you and I being one. The reason why it's all in with one heart is because our gospel witness hangs in the balance of us getting along. 
Now, sociologists would say that there's never been a greater difference between generations than there are today. Inside and outside of the church. And what Christ is saying is that we have a common Savior and we have a common mission that we can leave our preferences at the door for the sake of the common Savior who has given his life for us and for the common mission to see his message be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. And we unify around that. And so maybe there's things that we don't like. You know what? There's things that I don't like. There's things I want to do better. There's things I want us to to be better about. But we lay our preferences down and say, Lord, I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be one with you. And as I'm one with you, I'm going to learn what it looks like to live like you. And I'm going to love my brothers and sisters in spite of differences that we may have. And we're going to run together. And we're going to do it together. And so, Lord willing, whatever God does in and through us and through First Baptist Belton, may we set a standard of unity in our community. May people look at us and go, man, that's a, that's a man, that is a, a melting pot kind of group of people. And yet, somehow, some way, they can come together. Lord knows our convention needs it. Lord knows the church needs it, Big C Church. Lord knows that the world needs it. And we're the only institution that God has ordained to bring about unity on this earth. Why don't you think about that? We're the institution that Jesus has given his life for to unify us so that we may be a gospel witness, a witness of unity to the ends of the earth. That's powerful. These are the last words that Jesus prays over his disciples as he goes to be with the Father, that they may be one as he is one with the Father, that we may be one together so that the world may know the truth of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you today and we ask you to do your work in our hearts and in our minds. God, that we would take your word seriously, that we would unify around you and the gospel. God, that we would be together for the mission that you have called us to and that we would not allow secondary things to distort that which you've called us to, to distract us from what you've set before us. God, may we celebrate our differences rather than being angry at them. May we lay our identity, may we lay our idols at the foot of the cross, may we pick up our cross, and may we follow you. God, may you unify us around the blood of Jesus. And may we be a credible witness to all the world that you are the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through you. 
Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.